The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. Thank you, Dan. Good morning. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this wonderful day that you've given us to gather in your house of prayer with our brothers and sisters. And we thank you, Lord, for the sunshine. We thank you for the rain. And we thank you for your son that set us free. And as we study the word today, I ask that you be with us and through your Holy Spirit and in our hearts and in our minds that we may study your word and worship your name. Amen. Now, this is our fifth week in James. And I must say, I don't know about you, but me, I'm still chewing on week two. But in week one, when we did the introduction, I kind of asked you guys to do some things. And one of those things was to read the book of James once a week. It takes about 15, 20 minutes just to read through. I asked that you bring your Bibles to church, mark them, highlight them. But don't raise your hand, but... How many of you have actually done that? You see, what I'm trying to get everybody to understand is that the Bible is meant to be bread for daily use, not cake for special occasions. And if we're honest and look in Christianity as a whole, and this includes myself, we're not really serious about Bible study, kind of plain Bible study. Now, the Bible is a wonderful book, and I mentioned this before, somebody said, Bible is so deep that scholars can swim and never touch bottom, and yet so shallow that the little child can come and get a drink without fear of drowning. That's how wonderful God's Word is. But yet, many of us don't really have real satisfaction in studying the Word of God. But you see, the Word of God cannot work in our lives unless we receive it the right way. Now I'm going to go through some scriptures that we previously covered, and remember when Jesus said in Mark 4, 24, said, then he said to them, take heed what you hear. Remember we talked about listen more, talk less, calm down. But in Luke 8, 18, he not only said, take heed what you hear, he said, take heed how you hear. And too many people are in tragic conditions, which outlines it in Matthew 13, 13. He says, because seeing they do not see, hearing do not hear, nor do they understand. How come some people attend Bible classes, go to church, religiously, we want to say, every Sunday, but somehow never seem to grow? Perhaps maybe it's the fault of the preacher or the teacher, or perhaps it's the fault of the hearer. It's possible to be dull of hearing because of the decay of our spiritual lives. Hebrews 5.11 says, Of whom we have much to say, too hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. You see, the Word of God is to be planted in our hearts. And then we must obey the instructions that James gives us here. Many people mistake that coming to church and hearing a good sermon or going to a Bible study is what makes them grow in God's blessings. It's not the hearing, but the doing of God's Word that brings the blessing. And if you think you're spiritual because you hear the Word of God, you're only kidding yourself. There's a saying that says, you know, dust on the Bible, drought in the heart. 
And if you're tired of that dryness and you want God's word to become a perennial fountain, you want it to become real, I want you to pay attention today. Listen with your ears and your heart. I want to talk about four ways. There's many ways, but I want to talk about four ways we are to receive the word of God. That is also welcome the word of God in your life that you can better understand the word of God. So we're in James 1, verse 21, and we'll read 21 through 25. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If anyone is a hearer of the word, not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. And what's interesting to me, this last verse, he says, he is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer. Why does he say, unforgetful here or awesome listener. He says, doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. Now look at verse 21. James 1, 21. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness, meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. In other words, you are to receive the word of God, the implanted word, and I believe the Word of God is actually the greatest preventative against sins of the flesh. There's a, a famous Scottish preacher that since said, sin will keep you from the Bible or the Bible will keep you from sin. And he was certainly accurate in that. Then James says here, I just want to point out, and I'm going to remind you of this until you fall asleep and it's playing in your head, which is able to save your souls. Interesting, again, it's written to Christians. He's telling Christians how to be saved. But James is speaking to those who are saved. You have received the implanted word. It has been planted in your hearts. The word has already brought salvation to you. But you have to have a life, live as a Christian. There's salvation three tenses. And this is what I want everybody to understand. Salvation, I've been saved from the penalty of sin. There's current in being saved right now. And will be saved from all sin in heaven. So James is speaking here of salvation in present tense, from the power of sin. Even though we don't go to hell and the devil has not ceased, remember temptation, he's not ceased working on us and there's still allurement to the sin. He has, devil is going fishing, remember? What, what's the main three hooks he uses? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. That's all there is in this world. And he uses those three hooks to go fishing. But not only we need to be saved in past tense, we need to be saved in present tense from the power of sin. And one day when Jesus comes, we're going to be saved from all possibility of sin. But that day is not here yet. And so it is the Word of God that is able to save our souls. When we lived in Russia, my parents had this old-fashioned ironstead bed. And we used to, all five of us, file up. You know, it's kind of, it's firm on this end. It's firm on that end, but it's kind of sags in the middle. Sometimes we had to put 
bricks underneath. And that's what, that's it's kind of like a picture of being saved. We're saved. We're going to be saved. But right now we're sleeping kind of rough. The Bible says we are to receive the word of God. Receive it with meekness. Now, there's two words or two meaning of the uh, word temptation. Remember, sometimes it means temptation means trials. Sometimes it means temptation where there's inner desires. So when he says receive, there's two meanings in the Greek languages as well. One word means to grasp, to reach out and take and get. But that's not the word James uses here. You can't just reach out, snatch the word of God and take it. You can't just take it. Somebody says, I studied history, I studied geometry, math, whatever. I'm going to study the Word of God. They get their lexicons out, concordance, commentaries, and they bring their mind, their will, their determination, their intellect, and say, I'm going to master the Bible. Friends, you may get the words, but you're not going to get the music. He may learn the kings of Israel, but he will never learn about the king of kings. You can't just Go and grab it. But there's another word for receive. And the word for receive is to welcome. To welcome, just like you would welcome somebody in your house as receive as a guest. You say, welcome, come on in. Now, if you were to understand the Bible and to study the Bible, you must learn to welcome the word. You're never going to take your intellect... (laughs) You're never going to take your mind, determination, and get the truth out of the Bible. You have to open your heart and open your mind and welcome the Word. You don't just reach out and take God's Word. We receive God's Word by faith, by grace, and let God's Word come into our heart. So how do we receive it? Number one, you receive the Word with a repentant You receive the word with a repentant heart. If a guest is coming to your house, one of the first things that you ought to do, or maybe you do, is you clean the house. Clean up a little. And certainly it's true if we want the word of God to come into our hearts. The word of God is to dwell in us richly, and if we want all fruitfulness, we must receive the God's word with repentance. That's what he means in verse 21. Therefore lay aside... Filthiness, overflow of wickedness, received with meekness in the planted word, which is able to save your souls. That word filthiness refers to any sort of moral defilement or impurity. And actually it's closely related to a medical term, means wax in the ears. It impairs your hearing. And especially appropriate in this context, moral filthiness is a serious barrier to our clearly hearing, comprehending the word of God. Refers to wax in the ear, which keeps you from hearing. There's certain things in our ears sometimes, in our spiritual ears, that need to be removed so we can hear. I came across this comic strip, Shepherd's Voice. And sheep is reading a sheep digest. And kind of the things we discussed last Sunday, you know, has the radio on, has the TV on, has the laptop on has iPod with headphones on, and we say, I wonder why I can't hear the shepherd anymore. Remember when I said dust on the Bible, drought in the heart? See, the Bible is on the floor. Now, it seems that God is trying to tell us things at times, that something's wrong with us, but we can't hear him 
Because the very thing that's wrong with us is keeping us from hearing him telling us that that's what's wrong with us. Let me give you some scriptures how some saints in the Bible responded to the true knowledge of their own hearts. Isaiah 6.5 So I said, Woe is me, I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Peter cried, and Luke 5.8 says, When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down to Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Job was the most righteous man of on earth of this day, yet he confessed in Job 42, 6, it says, Therefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. In Colossians 3, 8 through 10, it says, But now you, you yourselves are put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds. You have put on the new man, who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of God who created him. And the writer of Hebrews, who I believe is Paul, in Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and sin which is eas- so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. See, you can't run a race when you got all that extra weight on you. You can't run it efficiently. It's holding you down. And similarly, Peter writes in 1 Peter 2, chapter 2, first two verses, says, Therefore, laying aside all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. Now, somebody asked me, why do you lose a, use a lot of verses in, in your sermons? And I'll answer that question. What the Bible says is way more important than anything I have to say. Second, I want you to notice, if you read the Bible, it was written at different times by different people, but yet, somehow, it says all the same things. Why? Because they all had one Holy Spirit. They didn't have different Holy Spirits. Holy Spirit is one. So whatever he told Peter, he told Paul. Whatever he told Peter, Paul, and told to James. Look back in James 1.21. Therefore lay aside filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. That's the same thing as we just read in 1 Peter. It means which remains, literally which means left over. I guess the best description I can give you is would be hangover sin which is left in us. Wickedness may reside in the heart for a long time before it expressed outwardly. You know that? It may in fact never be expressed outwardly. There's this thing of called hidden sins, which only you and Jesus knows about. Those hidden sins. You see, when a train can be on the right tracks, but it'll carry a lot of access baggage too. Bad habits, unclean thoughts, unholy desires, gross ignorance, unsubdued passions. They all didn't jump the train where we got converted. There's still work to be done to fit for its arrival at God's destination. We're not there yet. We're still sleeping kind of rough. And James saw human heart as a garden. You see, if we leave a garden to itself, the soil will produce only weeds if we just leave it to itself. But he urged us to pull out the weeds to prepare the soil for the implanted word. Look with me in Jeremiah 4.3. 
For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground and do not sow among the thorns. Friends, it's foolish to try to receive the word of God with an unrepented heart. The idea that confessing, repenting, eliminating every remainder of evil that corrupts our lives, you see, it reduces our hunger for the word. It clouds our understanding of it. But when that's done, we can indeed receive the word of God. People are saved. They're born again. They received the Lord Jesus Christ. Their sins are forgiven. But there seems to be some sort of hangover sin that we still have. Let me give you an example of that illustration through the Bible. Remember uh, Lazarus. And Jesus stood at the tomb of Lazarus in John chapter 11, verse 43. He says, now when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus comes forth. He came forth like a mummy. He came out. He was wrapped in all these graves closed. I think it would be nice to see how that looked like. He was wrapped around, around, around like a cocoon. That's how they buried people back then. In the grave clothes. But he had life. But he didn't have liberty. (laughs) And Jesus said in verse 44, in 1144, he said, And then he died, came out bound, hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with cloth, Jesus said to them, Loose him and let him go. That is, take off the wickedness, overflow of wickedness. He has life, but he still has certain grave clothes that are still clinging him, and we need to get rid of those. In Luke 15, (laughs) prodigal son, we all know the story I don't know we use, why we use that word because that's not even a word in the Bible. But Luke 15, 18 to 22, I will arise to go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against the heaven and before and I am no longer worthy to, call, to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. And when he was still great way off, father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him and said, son, and the said said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet. The son came with his old filthy rags, clothes, the old life. He had to lay that aside. He came to the Father, but he still had some hangover sins, as it were. And I wonder what part of your life are you still wearing those old, filthy rags, clothes? Friend, are you still wearing the smock you wore to the hog pen? And you know, studying James, I want us to get the understanding of seriousness of our salvation in the present tense. We are the light to the world. We are out the salt. So can people look at you and say you're a Christian in this time and age? You're not ready to receive the word of God, my friend, if you have all this and you're not willing to confess. If you want the Bible to speak to you, if you want the Bible to be alive to you, and if you really would like to welcome the word and you want to get something out of your Bible study, there's no way you can do it unless... You welcome it with a repentant heart. James 1.21 again, Therefore lay aside all filthiness 
Overflow of wickedness. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. You know, the problem with us is we think that some sins are bigger than some sins. You know, we think that being a, I don't know, I'll just use an example. Being a drunk is not much of a sin than a homosexual. The exact same sin. See, that's the problem. We think all sin is, we, we, in our minds, we say, well, it's a little sin. Who knocks to the door so loud? Just a little sin. Slip through, I answered, and soon all hell was in. You see, when, when we allow small sins into our lives, it opens the door for other sins to come to our lives. See, when that sin comes in, it kind of puts his foot in the door and holds it open for his buddies. Any you do that when you were younger at the movie theaters? <laughs> Somebody said, you give a devil an inch, he will become the ruler. And I think that's very true. So if we want the word of God to burst a flame in our hands, we would like to read, have it come to you. Just open your heart and receive it. Now, first of all, you receive it with repentance. So I want you to understand it's very foolish to try to go in the word with an unrepentant heart. The second is receive the word with a receptive heart. That word meekness in James 1.21, meekness means to have a teachable spirit. When you receive the word with meekness, you accept it, you don't argue with it, and you honor it as the word of God. And what we need to keep in mind is, no matter what we think, remember, God will have the last word. You don't try to twist it to conform it to your thinking. In Russia, I've seen how they meek wild horses. I don't know how they do it here, but they get on top of that horse and try to meek it. There's different ways. They put a towel over its head. But when that horse is meeked, now it can be teachable. First they have to meek it, and then they, it's teachable. Are you teachable? Are you receiving the word with meekness? Or are you just arguing about it? Jumping around like a wild stallion all the time. And that's the reason some folks don't understand the Word of God. When it clearly outlines, it says A, B, C, they try to define it with their mind. Well, I agree with A. B, uh, C, definitely no. They just try to parade it past their jury of their mind. They're not teachable. A lot of us think that the Word of God somehow has to agree with our way of thinking. And that's what I say, it doesn't matter what I think, it doesn't matter what you think, it matters what the Word of God says. And John 7, 17 says these words, if anyone is to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine whenever it's from God. Some people are stubborn, and that's the reason they can't receive the Word of God. There's a man that said once, I'm open to conviction, just like to see a man who would convict me. That's, they're really stubborn. That's what we do. When somebody points us the scripture and says, hey brother, and they do it in a loving way, here's what the word of God teaches us. Oh no, that's, that's you guys. That's how you understand it. I understand it this way. You can't do that. How is God going to reveal anything else to you if you don't even take his elementary doctrines, if you want to call them, seriously? 
So if we were to receive the word of God, repentant heart, absolutely certain there's no unconfessed sin. Whatever you know, confess it. Receptive heart, welcome the word with meekness. Here I am, Lord, teach me, whatever it is. What must I change in my life? What new commandment or uh, is there, what do I need to obey more in my life? Or open it and I will not argue. And the third is, receive the word with a responsive heart. First, I want to make it clear to everybody here. God is not asking anything of you until you become his child. But those who have become children of God, what does he say? Verse, one, uh, verse 22, James 1.22. But be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Basically, respond to what God says. Gospel which we possess, my friends, is not given to us to be admired, talked of, or just professed, but to practice. To practice. God says, if you do not respond to what he's showing you, you're self-deceived. And I think the problem with many of us is that we come to church and we think we got, did God us some kind of favor by coming here, sitting here, and listening to God's word. There's this mentality that Jesus needs us. God needs us. I don't know, my friends, we need him. And God says, if you do not respond what he shows you, you are self-deceived. Let me give you an example of what God calls you. If you listen to what God says and don't respond to it. Now, I'm not calling anybody a fool. Jesus is. So you can take it up with him. Matthew 7, 26. But there, but everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. In Luke 24, 25, he said to them, O foolish ones, slow to, of heart to believe all the prophets that have spoken. So what about a person who comes to church and says, wasn't the music wonderful? Wasn't, wasn't that a fine sermon? And you know what's wrong with the other thing that I see what's wrong with a lot of folks? Their sermons tasted that never tasted the grace of God. That's the problem. We'll listen to many sermons. But we have no desire to do what any of those sermons tell us to do. Listening to sermons. Someone expressed it in a little poem like this. It's easier to preach than practice. It's easier to say than do. Most sermons are heard by many, but taken to heart. By few. It's kind of a hobby of us. We come and listen to the truth, but don't respond to the truth. Why is that? You become a hearer of the word without becoming the doer of the word. You're self-deceived. And that's really no compliment, tell you the truth, if you come up and you know, brag about the sermon, how good it was. The compliment is, but be doers of the word, not hearers. And I believe it's Peter Lord who said, what we really believe we live by, the rest is just religious talk. The rest is just religious talk. If you want me to give you the test, whenever your knowledge of the word, if you're receiving it in the right way, 
I'm going to give you a test, one question. Ready? Is your knowledge of the Bible making you more like Jesus Christ? Is your knowledge of the Bible making you more like Jesus Christ? That's it. That's a simple test. You don't have to be a theologian and know the Bible is in and out. But with your knowledge that you have, is it making you to be more like the Jesus Christ? See, the knowledge about God, we study the Bible to know the knowledge about God, but the obedience is what gives you knowledge of God. Any response to the gospel that does not include obedience is self-deception. You see, some Christians are like a sponge. I had this recent experience. They're, they're a sponge in the sink. You ever had a sponge in the sink? It just sits there. You pour things down the drain. But if the sponge is not put to work, what happens? Everything that it's sponged up starts to stink. So that's what we do. We sit here, sponge it up, but never go and do it. Next time you study the Bible and you get something God says, do this and that, and he's talking to you, just do it. It's simple. Go and do it. And the Bible will become alive to you. And the fourth thing and the last thing I want to talk about today is a reflective heart. A reflective heart. In James 1, 23 through 25, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks in the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. So here James is saying the Bible is like a mirror. There are many uh, figures of speech to describe the Bible and the Word of God. You know, Jeremiah said the Bible is like a hammer. These are not up here, but it's Jeremiah 23, 29, if you want to write it down. You know, remember David said it's like a lamp in Psalm 119. Writer of Hebrews said, you know, it's like a sword, Hebrews 4. And Jesus said it's like a seed in Luke 8. So James is saying it's like a mirror. Do you know the Bible is not a popular book today? You know it's the bestseller though, right? It's the bestseller, but yet it's not a popular book. It's the worst read. Do you know why it's not popular? Because it shows us who we are. It shows us who you are. You open it up, you start reading it, and you see yourself. Mirror is a very interesting thing. And he uses it as illustration as the Word of God. So when you look in the Word of God... You see yourself. Have you ever, guys, ever seen a portrait of Abraham Lincoln? See, we had to study these things for a citizenship test. But you ever notice that some pictures have him with a wart and some pictures don't? <laughs> One artist was trying to paint Abraham Lincoln, and he started moving him around and said, President, sit here, sit here this way. And he finally had him position Abraham Lincoln's smile. And then he tells Abraham Lincoln, how would you like to paint me, president? He says, with the wart and all, just as I am. You see, <laughs> the word of God is like a mirror. Mirrors don't lie. You ever wonder why you can get a picture, better picture of yourself? <laughs> Go look in the mirror. When we were in California, and I was clearly outnumbered this vacation. They had myself, my wife and daughter, 
and her friend and her daughter, so four females versus one male. And I was only taking pictures. So when I was taking pictures, then I would just text it to the two of them so everybody had the same pictures. And the friend says to me that I should not, cannot post any pictures of her on Facebook because the pictures I took do not do her justice. So I said the very Petrenko thing, you, know, you don't need justice, you need mercy. But you see, sometimes you can get a bigger picture of yourself. There's a saying photographers say, where there's beauty, we take it. When there's none, we make it. There's all kinds of apps on your phones, right? Whiter teeth, clearer skin. But the mirror doesn't do that. The mirror doesn't do that. Mirror shows you for what you are. And James here practically imagines two people looking in the mirror. First of all, there's a man who just takes a casual glance, if you will, in verse 23. For anyone who is a hearer of the word, not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For he observes himself and goes away immediately and forgets what kind of man he was. The idea is just he just looks at himself. This the way I am. He's putting on his coat, fixing his tie. You know, many of us who claim to do Bible study can't even tell us where you read that from. They open it up, they glance, and they go on their way. Have you ever had to look at your watch, and then you had to look again because you just forgot, you just looked at it, and you, that, that's how we do Bible studies sometimes. Like, what? What? That's how they hear it, but they never intend to put it in practice of their life. People hear about witnessing. People hear about serving in the church, volunteering. People hear about giving, and they nod their head and they amen and all that kind of stuff, but they never intend to do it. Why? But then he talks about a man who does, doesn't give himself a casual glance. In verse 25, but he who looks in the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. I was reading, preparing, and I read a story that many years ago in the eastern Tennessee, a story went on around about a mountaineer, and I don't know if these are, I'm not making fun of Appalachian people, trust me, I'm a hillbilly as it can get. I love country music. But some tourists had camped in the hills around his area, and because mountain folk didn't see many tours of those days, when the tourists left, he went to that particular campsite and looked around, and he found a mirror. And he looked at it, said, I didn't, I didn't know my papa had his picture took. So he got very sentimental about it, ran home and, you know, hid it in his attic. His wife was watching it. But he went up there and didn't talk to her and hid something. So she waited till he left the house and she went up in the attic and took the mirror and looked at it and said, oh, that's the old hag he's been running around with. You see, sometimes when we look at the Word of God... And we're looking at the Word of God, it's a picture of somebody else for us. Not for us, but for somebody else. But it's a picture of you. It's a picture of me. We have to look, look into means look attentively. And that's the reason some of us don't want to spend Bible study or study the Word of God. Because the Bible reads us. I mean, we look into the Bible, Bible looks right back. It says, there you are. 
And it reveals all of our shortcomings. And we are not to forget what it tells us, what it says to us. The Word reveals to us as we are, penetrating beneath the surface. And the same Word that's used as a mirror shows us who we are is the same Word that cleanses us. And Psalm 119.9 says this, How can a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed according to your word. And John 15.3 says, If you're already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. And if, we're used to, if we want to use God's mirror profitably, we can't just take a careful gaze into it. We have to have serious intent as it instructs us in James 1.25. No quick glances will do. We must examine our own hearts and the lives of the light of the Word. This requires time, attention, and sincere devotion. Five minutes with God each day will not accomplish spiritual examination, folks. The mirror of the Word not only examines us and reveals our sins, but keeps, helps, helps us keep clean as well. 1 John 1, 1.9, it says, If we confess our sin, He is faithful just to give us, forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. As we meditate on the Word of God, it cleanses our heart, our mind, from all this spiritual defilement, all these morals. There are two purposes of a mirror. What's the purpose of a mirror? One is for examination, right? You look at it. Second is for restoration. Error is not, right? You, you fix it. So same thing is true with the mirror of the Word of God. You study the Word of God. It examines you. You study the Word of God. It restores you. It shows you how to get things right in your life. But there's a third ministry that the mirror of the Word can do that the natural mirror cannot do. And that is transformation. You can look in a normal mirror natural meal all your life, but you can't do anything about transforming. It just stares back what you are. Not only you can see how you can be restored, but you can see how the Lord Jesus Christ and the Lord can transform you and make you just like Jesus. It will help you to become just like the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you were here last Sunday, I shared a story with you about anger. Remember, we read about David from 2 Psalm. It's not up here, but just going to remind you. In 2 Samuel, remember that story about the lamb? He got mad, got angry. Well, in that same story, see the prophet Nathan, what did he do? He held up a mirror of the Word of God. He said, You are the man. Remember, David was angry. Then he was angry at the wrong man. What's the result? What's the result? Repentance. I've sinned against the Lord. So it served as a mirror of examination. Also restored him. Here was the assurance of forgiveness and cleansedness. It came from the Word of God. We stop with examination and restoration. We will miss out on the full benefit of the ministry of the mirror word of God to us. What is shown? Too many Christians confess their sins, claim forgiveness, but never grow spiritually to conquer self and sin. But 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, 
But we all, with unveiled face, behold it as, as in mirror of glory of Lord, are to be transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. When a believer spends time looking in the Word and seeing Christ, he is transformed. The glory on the inside will be revealed on the outside. And God's blessing results from believers' obedience. In Joshua 1.8, the Lord commanded and promised this. This book of law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it on day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will see, will have good success. The only way to be spiritually blessed and prosperous is through faithful study and application of God's word. Meditated on day and night. And to be careful to do according to what is written. Not just listen to it, read it, and go on on your merry way. Hearer and doer of the word discovered that it demands what Jesus demands of us. And we think sometimes it's hard, right? But it's not. Matthew 11.30 says, For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Those are the words of Jesus. And in conclusions, though these things are sound simple, kind of simple, doesn't mean that they're not profound. Listen again, tomorrow when you, or tonight, whenever you open the Bible, first, first lay aside all filthiness, any anger against anybody else, any filthiness, any hidden sins that you may have, lay it aside. If your heart not clean, weed out the garden. Get the wax out of your ears. Then receive the word with meekness. Teachable spirit. I welcome the word. Whatever it is, hear it. And then, when God shows you something, say, yes, Lord, and just do it. Just look in the mirror. If you're going to find something there, well, first of all, you're going to find it looking right back at you. But not only that, Jesus Christ will be also looking at back at you. You're going to see him there also. And as you behold you, you will repent. And you're going to be changed from glory to glory. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you will seal this word in our hearts this morning. Father, help me practice what I preach here today. And teach us, Lord, as individuals, as a congregation, to receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to deliver our souls. Father, you know everything about this church, and you know the future of the church, and we ask your blessing, but we must understand in order to receive your blessing, we not, must be not only hearers, but doers of your word. Help us with that, Father. And may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. In Jesus' wonderful name I pray. Amen.